Is this your place? No, 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 no. No, I live with my mom. Oh. Yeah. You hungry? Hey, Ma! Can we get some meatloaf? Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and did you know that the Super Bowl is this weekend? (laughs) Of course you did, because you're not living in a cave. Two top quarterbacks at the top of their game are trying to take home the top prize. So here's a question. What do you have to do to win your own Super Bowl with your goals? Today, we welcome the star running back behind popular website Yes I Am Cheap and the Elevate Conference, Sandy Smith. And from the Afford Anything podcast, maybe she'll actually watch the Super Bowl this year. It's our friend Paula Pant. And will the Super Bowl stream all the way down to an underground bunker? We'll find out soon because from LenPenzo.com, it's former Detroit Lions quarterback Matthew Stafford. Nah, I'm just kidding. He's too busy moving from Motown to Tinseltown. All we could get was Len Penzo. Plus, during our Friday FinTech segment, we'll welcome Brian Hamilton from One Finance. They've developed some innovative banking and savings ideas, and we'll hear all about it. But wait, there's more. We'll magnify Alan's money, and I'll share some bathroom-related trivia. Not going to the bathroom fifth-grade humor. We're way above that. And now, a guy who could actually use a shower or two... It's Joe Salcihai. Spoken like somebody who knows what it smells like when you don't shower there, Doug. Nice. Takes one to know one, right? Hey, everybody. Welcome to Fifth Grade Humor for the Win. I'm Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And happy weekend, Super Bowl weekend, and a woman who's clearly really excited about the Super Bowl from Afford Anything, it's Paula Pant. Woo! The Cincinnati Bengals versus the Cleveland Browns. Let's go! <laughs> the two teams she knows, and unfortunately, because <laughs> I'm from Ohio. <laughs> yes, it, I I couldn't tell. I could not tell <laughs> knowing those two teams, because otherwise, I don't think there's another person in America who thinks the Cincinnati Bengals would be in the Super Bowl, Paula. You know, they they were once. I think back in the '80s. Yes. 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 <laughs> She's like defending Cincinnati's honor here. I, hey, I totally am. Back in the 80s, they back off, pal. <laughs> yes. Are in you going to? I have a clear memory. When I was a kid, there was some guy who, um, you know, the ledge at the bottom of a billboard? Like, yes. Uh, he decided that he was going to sit on that ledge on the bottom of a billboard until the Bengals won another game. Didn't have to be the Super Bowl, just any game. And he was there for, I forget how long, <laughs> for a really freaking long time. It was like one of the big news stories when I was a kid. I think we're going to do that until, I'm going to do that until we get a third listener, Paula. Oh. We get a third listener. I'll come off the billboard. That'll be fantastic. <laughs> and a guy who is the opposite of billboard, you know, they're 40 feet up in the air. He's 40 feet underground under Los Angeles is Mr. Len Penzo. Happy Super Bowl weekend, my friend. 
I'm excited because I have a chance to earn some money. Man, are you, are you in a pool this uh, weekend? I think I'm going to stay dry this weekend. Oh, okay. Well, very good. So, hey, I'm I'm really rooting here for uh, uh, I'm rooting here for the. Um, oh shit! I forgot. He does it. <laughs> <laughs> who am I rooting for? I'm rooting. Well, who is it? It's the Chiefs and the uh, what is it? The Chiefs and the oh, it's Brady. It's Tampa Bay, isn't it? Yes, yes, that's who it is. It's Tampa Bay. That shows you I'm a real big football fan. <laughs> I, I'm a big, I'm a big. But you know what? There is money involved here. So, anyways, I am rooting for the. AFC team. Who's that? That's the Chiefs. That's the Chiefs. Right? So I need I need it 35-7. That's what I need. I need 35-7 for the Chiefs. And then it's big money for me and I can retire. And it's all over. Speaking of big money, the woman who's behind the big money, yes, I am cheap blog and the Elevate Conference, Sandy Smith, is back here to save the weekend. How are you? I don't even watch football. You don't? But... but- I don't. I haven't watched football in years, but I do know that the old guy is going, so I'm rooting for the old guy. That one old guy. Yes. <laughs> well, so tell everybody what you've been up to lately since we saw you last. Um, You know, quarantining and eating like everybody else, you know, packing on the pounds, I think, which has been nice since I'm in hibernation now. <laughs> Just hibernating, making sure that uh, you've got the protective coating done. That's right. I'm, I'm creating my own little social distancing arena around my body with the extra weight. So it's good. Hey, very seriously, what's on tap uh, this year for the Elevate Conference? Yeah, this year we're actually scheduled, we were scheduled to be in Tulsa to celebrate the centennial of, not celebrate, but to commemorate the centennial of the destruction of Black Wall Street. But we're doing something online this year in a hybrid event. We were supposed to be in their museum, uh, which would have been awesome. Awesome. Yes, it was going to be a really great event. But, you know, we make do and we make adjustments and we'll be online again this year and hopefully welcoming another couple thousand people again this year, like last year. That's got to be so exciting to see. It is. It's been really great to watch the evolution. And it's so funny that I feel like it is coming at exactly the time. <laughs> it's it's gone to the, the heights it needs to be at the time when people really need, need it. So I'm, I'm excited for that, to be in the place where people need it, at the time when people need it. Well, we're glad you're in this place right now, Sandy. Super Bowl weekend helping us kick it off. But first, this episode sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
We've got Sandy Smith here. We got Paula Pant here. We got Len Penzo here. So let's get this party started, guys. Well, for those of you that don't follow football, like uh, like me, <laughs> well, Sandy, though, what's interesting is you say you don't follow football, but I think that this has been a really interesting year for football because we had three different quarterbacks. For people who don't follow football, quarterback is the guy that gets the ball first and kind of calls the plays and drives the team down the field to score points. We had three veteran quarterbacks this year who have played much longer than most quarterbacks. We've got the person Sandy Smith called the old guy, Tom Brady. That's Paula's yeah. favorite player. And Absolutely. then, and then we, Paula does know Tom Brady. I'm fairly certain. Yeah. He's married to Giselle. There you go. Obviously. That's what he's most yeah. known for. Right? <laughs> and, then, and then second, we also had Drew Brees of the New Orleans Saints and Aaron Rodgers. And I believe all of these guys are in either their late 30s, early 40s. They've been around the NFL for a long time. And to be at the, and you look at basketball, LeBron James has been around for, for a long time. You can go to all different sports and see these people that perennially are winners. So I thought that's a perfect excuse to talk about your Super Bowl, getting your trophy for whatever the heck it is that you're trying to do, being the best at whatever you can be. If you think about Sandy, we'll start with you when it comes to your Super Bowl. I'm sure you don't look at it that way, but but winning a trophy, being the best you can be, what kind of sport would that be at for you? Oh, man, I would love to say it was sleeping, but <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I get precious little of that these days. You know what? I'm a chess player in the background. I'm a, I'm a chess player with people. So I, I kind of make things move on the back end. So I love to see when something that I put in place in the background comes to tuition in the front and people don't know that I had a finger in it. That's like, yeah. Well, well we know you not only have a finger in the Elevate conference, but it is your conference. Would that be your Super Bowl when that comes off? Great. That's, the highlight, of course, because it takes a lot to get that done. And my my hope is to, for people to not ever see me in front of the camera ever again when that happens. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. To elevate the other people who are on the stage the and doing the, the stuff. Paula, what would your Super Bowl analogy be? Jeez. So what is the thing that I'm... Questing for. Questing for. After. Questing for. Sounds like we're playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. I think that I would, I progressively would like to be better and better at doing, doing what it is that I do, teaching about personal finance online, you know, being able to explain concepts related to behavioral finance and the psychology of money in a way that's entertaining and clear and concise and intelligent. Len, how about for you? What's your Super Bowl? My Super Bowl is probably retiring from my job and being, you know, feeling like I can do what I want to do with the rest of my life based on everything that I've saved and, you know, up to this point. So, and, and we're getting close. I think I'm at the two minute warning. So we have a piece from time that I want to go down because they have five of uh, the writers, Eric Parker, Eric has five paths to being the best at anything. And the first thing he talks about, uh, Sandy, back to you, is just hard work. He immediately yeah. begins with 10,000 hours. Is that the biggest key? Yeah, I see it a lot where people shy away from hard work these days. And, you know, everybody wants to go down the four-hour work week, automate everything, and, 
you know, it's all going to come to you, but it takes a lot of work to even get to that point. So you got to pay your dues and put, put that time in at the beginning so that you can reap the reward at the end of the, um, at the end of the day. So yeah, hard work, hard work. You agree with that, Paula? You know, I think that there's some nuance to the 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours is five years of full-time effort, right? 2000 hours a year over five years. But if you're repeating the same mistakes again and again, Mm. that practice just drives in bad habits. So not only do you need to put in your 10,000 hours, you also need feedback and iteration and improvement on the skill that you are trying to hone. Failing upwards. Exactly. Or just iterating upwards. I mean, you know, if you play, uh, if you ski, but you're positioning your feet or your knees or your body the wrong way, and you do that for 10,000 hours, all you've done is become a really good bad skier. The wrong thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and the, so the same is true with writing. When I was starting out as a journalist, there were so many people who would say, oh, just get as many clips as you can, because they thought that what you really needed to do was write as many articles as possible so that you would have the practice. But I saw reporters in their 50s who, frankly, were still terrible writers, and it was because they were never getting feedback on their articles. And so I think there's a difference between submitting an article and then working closely with an editor to get feedback on it and to improve it versus just chucking it at your editor and not looking at the final product and moving on to the next one because you think you just need a higher word count. But I keep seeing over and over in online forums, right, for financial forums, I see people asking the question, hey, I just started saving the last couple of years. How do I get there quickly, right? How do I just, just, just show me how to get there quickly? We'll see in podcasting forums, I'll see people ask, Hey, I've got 12 episodes under my belt. Uh, How do I get a bunch of listeners to my show? It seems like Len, it's gotta be a combination of the two, right? I mean, what's Andy saying? Hard work plus feedback that Paul is saying, not one or the other. Yeah. And I'm going to say that this 10,000 hours, that just gets you in the game. I mean, that gets your foot in the door until you, that first 10,000 hours, don't even expect to have your foot in the door with respect to gaining, and I don't mean this in the bad way, but gaining respect, people starting to pay attention to you. That's just to get your darn foot in the door. I mean, you have a lot of work to do after that 10,000 hours. Don't think that 10,000 hours and everything is going to come to you either. There's a lot of work still to be done. That's just to get get yourself going. During that 10,000 hours, you know, I hear what Paul is saying, Sandy, about getting feedback. To some degree, we're all a little afraid of feedback. We're afraid people aren't going to like what, we, what we're doing. How big a role does fear play in you making or missing your goal? Now, because I'm so far into it, I don't know that it's a huge factor at the, what about Um, at the beginning though? Was it a big factor at the beginning? I think it can go both two ways because sometimes you don't know what you don't know. So you just prod ahead and you've got like all this confidence in the world because you think you know everything. And you think about how many businesses or things that people have started, if they knew just how much work and effort they would have to put into it and all the things that came with it. I think a lot of people would have never have done it. You think about like Bezos, how, how many, how was it like a decade before Amazon was like profitable or something like that? Probably, he probably never thought it was going to be that long. On the other hand, I think when you get to a certain point, then you're afraid of disappointing or failing. And that can be a different kind of driver as well. 
So like last year when the conference was going on and we moved from online, from in-person to online, and then it grew to be this huge thing, I stopped sleeping <laughs> like the last couple of weeks because I was like, now it's like, it's not just, you know, a couple hundred people, it's a couple thousand people. And am I going to fall flat and it's going to explode in my face? So whereas I was pretty confident at the beginning, towards the end, I was like just praying every day. I slept like a full two days after the conference. I was done. I was wiped. So, you know, fear can can play a factor, but it, it, and sometimes it just it doesn't because you just don't know what you know you should be afraid of either. I heard um, just recently Kevin Hart on an Audible book talking about fear. And about, and he used the football analogy, actually. He said that it's like a quarterback going out and not throwing a pass because they're afraid they're going to throw an interception. And the only way to do it, well, Paula, back to you and feedback, the only way to know how not to throw interceptions is to, I think, partly to throw a few interceptions. Be okay with the fact that it might go badly. Yeah. You know, there's that famous Wayne Gretzky quote, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yep. So Paula with a sports quote? What is? I know, right? Look at that. (laughs) The hell's going on? Just almost the right sport too. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) No, seriously. Well, at least you know Super Bowl. (laughs) At at least you know Sandy that Wayne Gretzky was hockey. I think. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Number two on this list is to have great genetics. And uh, Mr. Penzo, let's start with you here. You know, Uh, good choice. Good choice. (laughs) Because you got some great genetics, my friend. (laughs) No, but you know that a lot of us use this in kind of a stank way. We throw shade at people because we go, you know what? Sandy's so well. What's that? Wait, wait a minute. Can we just, is that Joe saying throwing shade? How about that? Which grandchild taught you this? <laughs> I'm standing right here, Sandy. I am standing right here. They, uh, Hey, I know all the cool kid phrases and I'll try to use hey. them all in one sentence so that. I, you- I'm sure you're a hip cat. All the cool kids <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. I just, just threw me off there for a second. But seriously, Len, you hear this all the time. Sandy's so well-connected and she's from the Sandy Smith family of all well-to-do people that all made stuff happen. So how the hell am I going to compete with her? You see this all the time. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, <laughs> the thing to do about this, the main point I got out of this is, you know, know what you're good at and know what you're not good at. You know, there are certain things that, I mean, you might enjoy, you might want to do, but you just can't. I, you know, I used to be a I was in a little league when my son was in little league and I worked, you know, I was actually on the board and worked my way up to president. And I saw a lot of things happening. I saw a lot of parents pushing kids to be the next, you know, um, uh, name somebody, name, Wayne name Gretzky. a famous baseball player. Yeah. Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> yeah. The next Wayne Gretzky. But they thought that, you know, Derek Jeter, right. They all thought their kid was going to be the next Derek Jeter. And, and I felt bad for a lot of those kids because, they just didn't have that. That wasn't their thing. You know, they liked playing baseball, but they just weren't, you know, you just could tell that they just didn't have that natural ability. They weren't natural athletes. And I felt bad for them. And that's the kind of thing you have to recognize. You might like something, but it doesn't mean you're going to be good at it. So you have to recognize what you are good at and what you are not good at. Paul, you were a writer right out of college. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think it was an aptitude? Was it in your genes, in your blood, or was it it was. Yeah, it absolutely was. If my parents had had their way, I would have gone into a STEM field. That was very much the direction that I was pushed in. Put it this way. When I was a kid, nobody ever said, what do you want to be when you grow up? People said, are you going to be a doctor or an engineer? <laughs> <laughs> you could be either so, or. Yeah, those were my two choices. And every now and again, I would throw a curveball at them and be like, 
I might go to law school and they'd be like, oh, the shame, the shame. <laughs> I feel like there's yeah. something to be said, though, for practice, 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 because in my head, I'm thinking back to like I, wa- I watched the Tiger Woods documentary the other day and his dad basically beat golf into him yeah. through like just sheer hitting that ball a million times. And then I think about Venus and Serena Williams and their dad was like that driving force as well, like getting them out on the court and doing it often and often. So maybe sometimes you develop that muscle from even when you don't have that innate ability, but it's because they started early and they were kind of pushed and kept at it until I feel like they had no choice but to be decent. Serena Williams is on the front cover of Fast Company magazine this month and reading just her story and all of the work ethic she got from her dad, Sandy, this says a lot and about how also it wasn't just about the tennis court. It was about taking that and doing other things with it, too. He also pushed them to make sure that they made the most of what they did. The next one on this list is to be part of a great team. I don't know about for you, Paula, but for me, being part of, of a great team has always been a big part of winning. I've always thought that you need to surround yourself with the right people. Ah, which is why you have me and Len as your roundtable regulars. <laughs> well, I needed to talk Sandy, to you guys. I needed to talk Sandy to you guys as of, well about that. Pro- just as a re- <laughs> as a, as a recurring guest. Absolutely, but very seriously, who you surround yourself with, I think, is hugely important. Don't you? Absolutely. One, yeah, one hundred percent. You know what struck me about this list, the list that we're that this discussion is derived from is that things that are within your control, that, you know, there, there are five elements on this list, right? The 10,000 hours, the surrounding yourself with a good team, uh, having good genetics, right? Those are three out of the five that we've discussed so far. There are five items on this list. The one that you cannot control are your genetics. The other four things on this list that are all within your control. And what that says to me is that, you know, 20% of the game might be those genetics, that luck. The other 80% of the game is stuff that's within your control. It's choosing who you're going to be around. It's putting in the hours. You know, that's a big piece of what makes it. Yeah, I totally think so. When, when Sandy, did you realize that being part of a, the right team was important to you? Because you've had different groups of people you've worked with over just the years I've known you. And it seems like you're always looking for the right group of people to plug in with so that you move forward. Yeah. I had a mentor years ago who said to me, and now she sits in the C-suite at a major financial institution. And what she said to me was, I don't need to be the smartest people in the room. I just need to hire the smartest people. Oh, yeah. And I, having worked, working very closely with her and gotten to watch her working style, I realized that that made sense. And that lesson was, man, at this point now, an 18-year-old lesson. I've kind of taken that on as my own philosophy that I don't need to know how to do everything. I, I, if I have the right people around me and then the good support system as well, because man, we all learned how important a safety net and support system was last year, right? Holy cow. That was, that was the missing link. I think for me for many years, cause I was doing things kind of alone, alone, alone. And then, you know, you had people who work for you with you, but having a good, Just an emotional support system, I think, is also really important. And I learned that lesson, yeah, from a mentor 18 years ago. Len, this must have been key. You talk about your Super Bowl being retirement from your full-time job. But during your career, you've had lots of different projects you've worked on, different teams you've been on. How important has the team been for you? 
Oh, it's everything. If you have, and it, and sometimes one bad person on that team can torpedo a whole project. So it's important to have a great team. It's also important to make sure that the wrong, just not even the wrong, one wrong person on that team can really screw you up. So yes, it's extremely important. What have you done, Len, when you've been on a bad team? And you, because you know, you guys know there's, there's somebody listening to this going, you know, I'm on the wrong team. How do you divorce those people? Well, you, <laughs> you, you make them move on. If, if you can't, if you have that ability, you tell them it's not working out and you've got to move on. That's, that's what you do. I mean, you, you can't, otherwise they'll bring down, they can bring you down. If they have a bad attitude that can infect the rest of the team, you have to, you have to catch all that stuff as quickly as possible and you have to let them go. And that's, I know it's hard, but that's, you know, that's just part of the job. You have to do that kind of thing. You agree, Sandy? I mean, when it's part of like a work thing, but I think also that extends beyond like, you know, work colleagues, because I can tell you that I had a conversation with somebody about two months ago who came to me and said, I was really hurt when you removed me from that circle, from the inner circle. I had to explain, hey, it wasn't personal. It's just, was this relationship serving the two of us anymore? And it's not a personal thing. I will be your friend, but... I also have to make a bigger decision for the things that I'm doing that impacts other people. When that doesn't serve the two of us anymore, it's a hard decision to make, but it's the right decision. And this person had been upset for like almost a year, like literally upset. So, it was it was brave of them to come talk to you about it later. I appreciated it. I, and I said, thank you for coming and saying something to me, because I know that's going to be really hard because... You know, I've had to, unfortunately, you have to make the hard decision sometimes. And whether it's removing a family member, a friend, because maybe things turn toxic or they're just not serving you in the right way anymore. It's not always easy to separate yourself from somebody or separate them from you and move on because sometimes you need to still maintain you know, social relationships with people. Yeah. So I've been very cognizant of that and not burning bridges either if it's an office relationship or a personal relationship, but explaining my motivation for why I'm kind of, you know, moving people out of my core inner circle for certain things and, you know, moving forward in a different way. The last uh, piece on this list, by the way, is putting all these things together, like Paula said, but there's one more that is before that last one, which is to be a giver. And it's funny, Paula, as Sandy's talking, I think about, how many times I've been in a relationship and I feel like that person is just take, 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 take. Like, how, how can you help me instead of making it be, be both of us? I've known you long enough to know that you agree with being a giver, but how long did it take you to get to that realization that the more you give, the more you get? I think that the way that I've framed it is, is a little bit different. So the more I get, the I more I get. <laughs> I think that I framed it as be relational rather than transactional. Relational is long-term, transactional is short-term. And so I think my framing was, if I'm thinking long-term, if I'm playing the long game, then what I want to do is build relationships, not just have transactions. And in order to build relationships, then you do have to be a giver, be generous, but just you have to be in a relationship, you know, with every person that you encounter, you know, in a, in a, I mean, relationship in the broad sense of the word, friendships, colleagues, camaraderie, like you, you need to build lasting relationships. And so you can't behave in a one-sided manner if you want the relationship to last for a decade or two decades. Len is the uh, only football fan with me here on this episode. <laughs> 
I wanted to ask you because what Paula talks about is this, you know, being relationship oriented. And you look at some of these quarterbacks who have been around for a long time. I read a great book about LeBron James last year called LeBron Inc. And you look at some of these players that have lasted a long time and been at the top of their game. Not only are they working on their game a ton, but they're also very relationship oriented, right? They have this team of people that are around them that are close to them. When did you realize that it was about giving as much as getting? Uh, I guess probably actually midway into my career, believe it or not. You know, I was relying on a lot of people to help me out. But at the midpoint of my career, I realized that the more you helped people, the more you stuck around after work to help somebody else finish a project or do something like that, that became when it was time for me to get back in, in return, they were more more than willing to help me when I was in a bind. And and that kind of paid off later. It took me a while to learn that, I'm sorry to admit. Um, I was more of the taker early on. And um, it's just the way it is. I kind of, you know, <laughs> sorry to say that, but that's, you know, it just yeah. took me a while to learn that. But, you know, that's part of life's journeys, right? That, no, it, um, took, it took me a long time too. I remember so. there was this big aha midway during my career. That's, oh, okay. That's yeah, what I'd I got I was do. 10 years into my, before then I was pretty much a taker, unfortunately. I'm sorry. I don't know that I was a taker as much as I was just transactional, you know? Okay. To, to, well, to, I, to didn't, use, I didn't help as much as I should have. I find this very interesting and, and I'm wondering when it comes to being the best right now, like what's your current focus? I'd love to hear. And I know that um, our listeners would love to hear what exactly it is that you're focusing on now. We will give our special guest, Sandy, the last word. Sandy's been here too often to call her the special guest, but, but Paul. I like the cousin that pops up when you don't want them to be there, you know, and might have stolen your spare key. That's, that's me. I call Sandy's back. Paula, let's use Stephen Covey language. How are you sharpening the saw right now? to become how, the best. How am I sharpening the saw to become the best? How am I running football drills to yes. get closer to the Super Bowl? Yes. What drill are you running? Jeez. So uh, at New Year's, um, at the New Year, however you say that, when the clock struck January 1st, um, <laughs> I'm practicing my English. You ever do that, by the way? Redo yeah. redo a sentence because you're not sure where the apostrophe goes, so you just reconstruct the whole damn sentence. <laughs> yeah. so, so you don't have to do it. You're like, I don't know where the apostrophe goes, so I'm going to say this a different way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, I, I interviewed Jeff Woods on my podcast, and he's uh, he's the host of the One Thing podcast, and the whole premise behind that is this idea that you – at constantly ask yourself, what is the one thing that I can be doing such that everybody, everything else would be easier or unnecessary? And he recommends picking one thing and doing that consistently for 66 days and resisting the temptation to try to change too many things at once. So pick one thing and do that one thing continuously for 66 days. After 66 days, it becomes a habit. Then you can start incorporating other things in your life. So that's that's how I'm sharpening the saw right now. I've I've picked my one thing. What is it? Oh, it's uh, it's improving my nutrition, basically improving what I put in my body in terms of food and drink, and that is my focus for the next 66 days. And just earlier today, 
I was actually thinking, I was like, oh, you know, I should layer on some more habits. I should have like an hour in the morning that I write, or I should have 20 minutes in the morning that I stretch. You know, I should, I should layer on all of these other habits that I also want to incorporate. And then I was like, no, no, Paula, you're not going to do that. You're going to focus on just this one change for 66 days. You know, you, you can write for an hour. You can stretch in the morning if you feel like it, but you're not going to actively work on turning that into a habit for the 66 days that you're focusing on this. It's funny that you say that because I've been trying to eat Doritos like every single day (laughs) for 66 days. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then my brain said, you know, maybe you should go out and run. And then my brain said back one thing. No, 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 no. (laughs) One thing. Eat the Doritos now. 66 days from now, we will take up running. Maybe. Do, do, are you still running a mile a day? No, that, that, <laughs> no, that's gone. And you know, what's frustrating for people that don't know what Paul is talking about for about five and a half years, I ran at least a mile every day and it was painful because the reason that streak ended was one day I f- forgot. <laughs> <laughs> it was like 1230 at night and I went, Oh shit. Yeah, it was horrible. It was bad. And then, and then Cheryl said, well, why don't you just go do it now? Why don't you, you know, just do it. Nobody will ever know. I'm like, no, but that's, I'll know. It's not like I'm going pro at running a mile a day, you know, bragged all my friends about something that's a lie over nothing. Yeah. I, I run a mile every day, except that one day when I didn't, you know, so no, that's, that's gone. I should have started again, but instead I went into Doritos. So uh, yes, you can, you can still do it. My, um, Will, Will was a vegetarian. He likes to say he was a vegetarian for 30 years with the exception of one time in the Czech Republic where he tried some chicken. Well, that's the thing. The Czech Republic is like half a world away, so it doesn't count. There should be like a hundred mile radius rule, you know, yeah. one of those things. I always say it's not, there's no calories if I'm on vacation or it's the holidays, right? Then yeah, I'm, clearly. Yes, duh. Exactly. Uh, Len, how about you? What are you doing to sharpen the saw right now? Well, you know what I'm focusing on right now is I'm actually focusing on expanding my network. So that's, um, you know, as I'm coming down to the end of the career here, I think networking is going to be more important than ever. And uh, so I'm trying to build relationships and, and expand that. So. It's just email Len if you want to be his friend. <laughs> Please, yeah. <laughs> Please do. And, I really need you. And Sandy, you've got the last word. Um, I've got dual focuses. Um, uh, well, you, so. you, apparently, you got to read the one thing, Sandy. The one thing I'm doing, the one thing is narrowing down everything in my life so that I can focus on what I think is going to be my life's work. So everything that's distracting me from being able to focus on that, I'm figuring out a way to outsource it, get somebody else to do it, or whittle down some other things that it if it's taking me away from that, figuring out how somebody else can do the things that still need to get done so that I can focus on what I think I should be focusing on. So the minute that, you know, outside is opened up, I'm not cleaning my house ever again. I am hiring a cleaning person and I am stimulating the economy and somebody can clean my house. Somebody already cuts my grass. You know, the kid goes to daycare. Just, I mean, if you want to keep your kid, you you might want to do that part. But some of the things that I think I don't have to do 
yeah, I'm I'm just sectioning those all off so I can I can focus more on what I think is really important. And the kid's important too, but he doesn't want to see me all day. Hey, stackers, if you're an active duty serviceman, veteran, DOD civilian, or military family member, you can join Navy Federal. That means if you've served in any branch of the military, it doesn't have to be just the Navy, it could be the Army, Marine Corps, Air Force, Coast Guard, you can join Navy Federal Credit Union. And on average, Navy Federal members earn and save $361 more per year. You can pay no fees, get low rates and rate discounts, plus earn cash back and grow your savings. Navy Federal puts members first by helping them save money, make money, and enjoy peace of mind and security through personalized around-the-clock service. Plus, now's a great time to join. Have a large credit card balance after the holidays? Let Navy Federal Credit Union help you rebalance your priorities. Make a plan to do away with high-interest credit card debt and transfer your balance to a Navy Federal credit card. With a low-intro APR, no balance transfer fees, you can pick the right card to help you Take back control. Visit NavyFederal.org. Navy Federal Credit Union, our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA, dollar value of Navy Federal's 2019 member give back study. Trying to scroll up here. 5.99 to 18% variable APRs based on product type and credit worthiness up to a dollar cash advance transaction fee at non-Navy Federal ATMs. There we go. It's funny, Sandy, that you were talking about hiring people and outsourcing because there's a mentor of mine now that says the phrase, ask who, not how, right? Mm -hmm. Often we get lost in the weeds of these little things asking, how do I do that? Instead, ask yourself who can do that? Or at the very least, who can teach me? And it answers everything. So I, I love the fact that you're delegating stuff away. Oh, yeah. I'm delegating my job away in three months to- uh... Fantastic. <laughs> to a different job where I'll have staff, which will be great. <laughs> well, for people that are new to the show, you may not know that we do FinTech Fridays where we introduce you to a new piece of FinTech either on your phone or on your computer that a lot of the time I don't know anything about. I was very saddened when I saw that a couple of banking apps that I really like, Simple and Aslo, both going bye-bye. And a gentleman who was one of the creators of Aslo is our next guest. His name's Brian Hamilton. He's been at a company lately called One Finance. And when I first heard about One Finance, I looked at all the things that they're working on. And there's so many of these ideas we've heard over and over that are pretty revolutionary. I knew I wanted to talk to him. Let's say hello and learn a bit about One Finance from Brian Hamilton. And on my dad's shortwave radio, it's our friend Brian Hamilton. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so happy you're here. And you and I talked before, and and we had a very animated conversation about banking. And uh, and I think it, it was it was super fun because I felt like we were just a couple nerd banking nerds nerding out on just how awesome banking can be and how much it's fallen short in a lot of ways. That brings me to my first question was, tell me the backstory of One Finance. How did you get involved and how did uh, it start to get off the ground? Yeah, well, we started a couple of years ago, right? I think there was a, it was clear that even though there are a number of digital banking platforms in the market, 
there's still a big unmet need. So a lot of the recent innovation in the past year, some of which has been really impressive and has reached some scale, was a lot of UI and UX improvement on top of what is essentially the same old checking account and debit card that you had before. Now, some some small changes, but not a lot of innovation in the actual financial products themselves. That's where we see a lot more opportunity, particularly for uh, you know, working class families, middle class households that are really struggling, especially with the pandemic. I mean, these were trends that were all in place prior to now. We saw a massive opportunity to do something with the financial products themselves that helps limit your interest expense, helps you rebuild savings at higher rates and does it in a way that's more integrated and kind of unified with your money. Today, you might be out there on three or four different fintech apps and have a bank account or two trying to get the best of those things. And you've got five or six pieces of plastic and it's it really becomes fairly complicated and it shouldn't be like we've learned enough in digital UX and product development in the last decade around banking. You should be able to get the best of all of that stuff in one place and actually have something unique from a financial product perspective underneath as well. So I think there's a there's a big opportunity out there still in the market to do that, folks. I'm imagining you, you know, back in the days when we used to get together, remember those days when people <laughs> get together, you at like a table with some of the other people behind One Finance and you guys have like a napkin out, you know, and you're drawing stuff on napkins. Is that kind of where you were? <laughs> there were some napkins involved. Uh, for sure. They might have been, uh, they may have been under a cocktail at the time, but, uh, there were definitely some napkins involved. And, and let's talk about some of the people behind one finance. Cause it's not just you and you have a background that's in this segment already, but some of the other people involved also have, uh, backgrounds that really run deep in this category. And I think would be people on the front lines that can look at a better way. Yeah, we're really fortunate. We have an amazing team, right? And initially, now, I've been in the industry for a while, uh, was able to connect with uh, Bill Harris, who's a visionary Bill fintech founder, has done a few things, was able to create a lot of space there for us to think about this in a more meaningful way. Right. It takes a bit more time and thought and building to build what we did on the back end that actually enables us to do the cool things on the front end for the customer. Uh, so that was one first fortunate event that kind of stood us up in the market. Wait, well, right. Before we get past Bill, because I know Bill, I, I mean, I don't know Bill, you know Bill, you work with Bill, but tell people Bill's background because people will know the stuff Bill's been involved in. Yeah, so he was CEO of Intuit uh, back in the 90s. He was the first CEO at PayPal, uh, recently founded Personal Capital, uh, which was just acquired. So it certainly has a long history as a visionary founder and was very helpful in kind of creating the space for he and I to ideate on what we could do here to be different in the space. Obviously, also helping to stand up something that was visible and had the credibility to both regulators and partners and potential team members that allowed us to pull together really the best of the best to run this. And I think we're very fortunate to have them on board now. Yeah. So some of those other people then, because I interrupted you, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, the exec team here is really amazing. Brent Baker, who was our COO, who ran the open platform uh, at BBVA, which was the layer that other fintechs would plug into to create stuff like what we're doing. And my previous startup, Aslo and Simple, and you know, we end up talking about that today as well. We're, we're built on top of those layers. And that's a lot of deep expertise around how the back end works. And I think that's where less innovation has happened, like this first wave of Challenger banks and neobanks are really built on top of a, an infrastructure that if you double click on at the end of the day, it's actually an older bank back end way behind the scenes. And that's where we made we made a lot of progress there. And we were able to do that with folks like uh, 
Brent, also our, our general counsel, Sarah, was at the OCC and, ha- and has a lot of legal and regulatory experience. That has to be a bit of a secret weapon when you do this because banks are regulated things, right? This, this is people's money. There are a lot of laws and regulations around what we do that, if you're not careful, can really stifle innovation. So you have to make that a bit of a secret weapon. And I think we're very fortunate there and the rest of the team as well, right? I think we've got, uh, you know, Meg who comes to us from, uh, from a consumer brand of Verve Coffee. She's our chief marketing officer and just is really amazing at setting up a brand and a message. It's a noisy market out there today. It's a combination of skill sets from the, the dusty, unsexy corners of what the back end of banking looks like, you know, all the way to the regulatory offices in Washington, all the way down to what the Google and Facebook targeting platforms have to look like to show up because obviously there is, you know, everything is digital. The news cycle is saturated. So it's a lot. And I think we are fortunate to have really the best team I've ever worked with pull this together. And, and it would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, our amazing engineering team. Uh, so Mike, who's our CTO and a team of guys that really are, I would put them up against any set of engineers at you know, Facebook or Google or Square or Stripe any day. Um, they are exceptional. And that's really what allows us to build uh, the thing that customers see uh, and the thing that, the things that customers react to. Well, deciding not to build on the existing dock, I mean, that that must have taken a lot of mental fortitude, I think. And we talked to Daniel Simon, who wrote the book Money Hackers, about mm-hmm. uh, some of the early days and talk about, you know, he's got a whole section of that book about the regulators that I never, as a big fan of fintech, I never realized was such a pain. So to have somebody in your corner that can kind of navigate that is, that's a that's a whole game in itself and not one that, I would guess if I'm you, Brian, that's the, that's the part of the game you don't even want to play. Yeah, it, it is. When you look at the big industries that have really been turned over with innovation in the past few years, they went from the the least regulated and now we're bumping up against some of the most regulated, right? So you start, you think about things like Uber or Airbnb that really turned over industries like hotels. And sure, there's some regulation and it's hard to get in them, but but there's a little bit less. So you look at taxis, it's a little bit harder. You've got this distributed network of all of the, you know, taxi cabals in New York and everywhere else. That one was a little bit tougher market by market. And then you get up to like things like banking and insurance, which are really starting to have FinTech kind of nip at their heels and take off little pieces of their business. But the core of the thing hasn't really been disrupted yet because regulation. Right. But that's starting to change. I think both the regulators are starting to wake up to it. Things like crypto, for example, that's forcing them to think about how they regulate money differently. So you've got more receptive folks in Washington. You've got a little bit more dynamic regulatory environment. And then if you can navigate that, you can do some really meaningful things for the customer that even a few years ago you didn't, you know, you weren't able to accomplish. Well, let's dive into One Finance then on that note and talk about how it works. So if I'm somebody who's checking out the company and the platform, walk me through the product and also how it's different. Yeah, it's a pretty simple concept, right? The idea is you should have your money in one place and you should be able to shape it to your life. Today, you've got things like credit is one concept and it's on a separate card. And if you have to use credit, maybe it's over here and you got to remember your monthly payment. If you've got debit is a separate card, like maybe you've got savings in a specific fintech that gives you a high rate and does some cool roundups for you, a household spending account. So maybe you've got a spouse or a partner or somebody in the household and you have a shared account. You've got this stuff everywhere, but really it's it's just all your money in different contexts. And so I think the 
idea of the platform is to pull that together. So you've got a, a single card that allows you to access credit and debit and also provides the kind of financial health building, automated roundups and automatically putting a little bit of money away from your paycheck every month into uh, we provide a 3% pocket for that, right? Some real reward for the user for initiating and maintaining healthy financial habits that kind of build it up. So the product itself is uh, it's a primary account comes with a card, that card can access credit or debit, and it comes with a bunch of features that kind of help you automate, kind of set and forget healthy behaviors that help you rebuild savings. And if you have to flex into credit, we'll do that for you at you know, half the rate of your standalone credit card. Because right now, if you have to flex into credit to bridge a gap between a couple of paychecks, you're at 25 to 29%. You yeah. don't want to let them sit there very long. And we just feel like there's a way to pull that together, have it in one place, hence the name, and really simplify how all of that stuff uh, comes together. And there's one really unique aspect that we've built, which is the ability to create pockets of your money for whatever reason. So if you want to organize your money around your bills, if you want to save for a vacation with someone, if you want to, you know, anything that you want to do to kind of shape your money to your life and keep it mentally separate, but then you can take a pocket and you can share it with someone else. Like Maybe a I, modern envelope system. It is like a modern envelope system. Except each envelope has an address on the ACH network and you can point a card at it, which means you don't have to necessarily move the money in and out, but you want all of your you know, bills from a specific provider to come out of a pocket. You can have that happen automatically every month without having to push it back and forth. And the sharing aspect is really a, a big differentiator, I think. The ability to share money with someone on an ongoing basis safely to where they can point their card at a bucket of money, right? A pocket of money that you agree is yours jointly. That's huge. That doesn't work that way today. In order for that to work today, you've got to go out and get a joint account with a bank and a legal, like nobody does that unless maybe you're fully married. And even then people don't always do that. And so the, the use case for splitting lunch with a PayPal or a Venmo or something like that, that one's pretty well addressed in the market today. But if you want to share money with somebody on an ongoing basis, there's not a lot of great answers for that today, particularly ones, particularly not ones that are tied to your primary account. Man, I can imagine, you know, at first I thought, well, who would I do that with in my life? But if I've got somebody who, as an example, takes care of my kids during the day and I want them to make sure there's some money there for lunches or for whatever, having this little shared account with even that, like I'm thinking of all these weird ways that people share money on ongoing ways. I don't want to talk about that though. I want to get back to when you originally talked and you said this very flippantly, like five things that blew our money nerds mind uh, that, that, that one finance does. I want to start off with this idea to have one card and it can be debit or credit. So it can point to one of these accounts. It sounds mm -hmm. like it can point to multiple accounts. Like, do I switch it from one to the other? Does it automatically switch? Tell me about using this one card in many different ways. Yeah. Currently you switch it, right? So currently you will point it at whatever pocket of money you want it to access before a transaction. That has some limitations. Obviously, if you forget to move it, it comes out of the wrong place. So it will have some additional automated features, categorization, the, the ability to move something after the fact if you want to re-put it in a different pocket, for example. Um, so lots of that's coming. We're we're out there with a pretty MVP version of the product, but just that function in and of itself is, yeah. is pretty unique. Sure. Um, so today, today you would do that upfront before, before a transaction occurs. And then again, the pockets themselves, you can have, you know, ACH and bill payments come in and out directly without having to remember to switch anything because they each have their own address on the network. And really though, at its heart, it's all the same account. 
It is. It's one account uh, with pockets of your money, yeah. which are organized differently, kind of cordoned off differently, and then accessible based on how you'd like it to be. And then going to credit, and I know that you've got to be careful, I'm sure. I mean, you and I didn't talk about this ahead of time, but I think you got to be careful with what words you use. But is this like overdraft at the bank where every time back when I was young and had trouble with money and I was struggling, they'd hit me, you know, they gave me this great line of credit at Bank of America, Brian, but they charged me 40 bucks every time I touched it. Right. So thank you very much, Bank of America. I appreciate it. Is this kind of what, how it works or is it for different usage? Uh, the core product comes with an overdraft line of credit. You can think of it like an overdraft line of credit on steroids. If you put a paycheck into the account, we'll look at your income and we'll increase that credit relative to your income, right? So if you're running your direct deposit, your paycheck through the account, that could be a very meaningful line of credit for some folks. Sure. Obviously, that's you know, subject to some other factors and, and, and risk factors. So not everybody's going to get magic there. But for a huge portion of the population, that's at you know 12% if you have to carry a balance on it compared to 25, 30% if you have to carry a balance on your credit card. So it really is a better financial instrument if you have to flex into it to cover some gaps. But we also let people use it just to cover minor overdrafts for a minute. So it's free to use during the month. So if you flex into it and flex out, it costs no money. And if you want to leave a balance there over the course of you know a few months, then you're only paying 12% APR on it instead of double that if you had to leave a balance on a credit card. Yeah, which is funny because you think about it, only 12%. The fact that you guys yeah. could say only 12 and it's beyond competitive, but it's still 12 is is, yeah. pr is pretty amazing. On the other side, you said an amazing interest rate that we can get. And, and I don't know if it's interest rate or it's a bonus, but tell me for savers out there, you did, did you say 3%? Yeah, we offer, and again, this is to incent uh, healthy financial uh, habits, right? This is to help kind of build the financial wellness, rebuild your savings. Most people don't do that well deliberately on a daily basis if they have to remember to do it. So we provide the ability to round up card transactions, right? Card roundups is a pretty well-known feature now on a lot of uh, products, but it normally goes into a pocket that earns, you know, half a percent or nothing. Uh, so like roundups exist at Bank of America, but you don't really get much. It helps you put your own money in a different place, but you don't really get much for doing that. And so we decided that that would be the right place to really incentivize behavior. And that's a 3% APY pocket with us. So the ability to put money into that pocket is two ways. One, you can round up your card transactions into that pocket, which means you're automatically saving a little bit every time you spend money, which is a really important dynamic from a kind of behavioral economics perspective. Because once you get used to doing that and it feels good to do that, it's really not costing you much. But before you know it, you're starting to build a little bit of a cushion for who knows? And the last year had a whole lot of who knows in it. So there's a there's a huge advantage to having that be kind of a set it and forget it behavior that then kind of builds the habit where people don't have to think about it. And the other more meaningful way to get money in there is the ability to save from your paycheck. So up to 10% of each paycheck can go into that pocket. And that just incentivizes the you know, saving out of each paycheck to help build that savings for someone. We can afford to do that as a company. It's the obvious next question that I always get asked yeah. because it's a contribution model, right? It's like your, your employer doesn't offer to match your 401k contribution to a hundred percent of your salary. No, they match it to three or 4%. This is similar to that. It's obviously not a retirement product, but it is the ability to incentivize up to some percentage of what you make every time you get a paycheck 
but that's the only way you get money into that pocket. So you can't bring $100,000 and get 3% on it. We wouldn't have a very viable business right now with where bank rates are at if that was how it worked. But that's okay because if you're the person that already has a big bucket of existing savings, you're not really the person that we're trying to help so much. We want to help the folks that are living paycheck to paycheck or feel like they are, even if they've yeah. still got a good job. They've, you know, they need to build some more savings for some cushion for unexpected events. And the world is full of those these days. That's the core customer that we're really trying to help with the product. Let's talk about getting it. Is it app-based? Do I go to the app store to Google Play to get it? Or is it web-based? How does it work? Yeah, you can go to uh, Google or Apple, right? So either of the app stores, if you search for one mobile banking, you should find it. And uh, obviously on the web as well at onefinance.com, we do have a web app, mobile optimized. So you don't have to have the native app in order to get in and use it, which is also nice. And we'll expand that in the future to a desktop design of that app. That is actually fairly important for some folks I know I do some of my more complex banking, not on my phone sometimes. Yeah. And uh, and that's something that I think the kind of first wave of mobile only apps has missed a little bit Yeah, because the phone is great, but it's also not the only thing if you need some real estate and you're dealing with your money and you have a lot going on. So any of those will work web or either of the app stores. I agree, man. I fumble sometimes with mobile apps, just, you know, my thumbs are big and I don't hit the right thing. Then I got to go back and you don't figure it out till later and uh, by the way, we'll link to One Finance and all the links that Brian talked about on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Before I let you go, a couple of questions. There's been some big news lately in in your arena. You were with Aslo. I'm an Aslo customer. I got this uh I got this letter last week from Aslo saying that uh and this is also from third parties, BBVA, who you talked to earlier, apparently their parent, shutting them down. And also, yeah. I believe that's the same for simple shutting down as well. Um, does that, does that mean the space that you're in is still the wild west or, or is something else going on there? Uh, it, it's a little bit the wild west, less the regulatory component, but, uh, there's a history of large banks and not just banks, but large companies acquiring innovative things with decisions made in a glass tower somewhere, not really thinking through the impact to the customer's to the team, et cetera, which sometimes those are business decisions, sure. In finance especially, though, this one was – this one's tough, right? So, I mean, I, I founded and led Aslo, which became a, a sister company to Simple, right? Simple was the original neobank. They've been out there for 10 years with a really uh, deep and well-loved UI and UX and really uh, dedicated customers. I know those guys, Josh and Shamir, very well. They were an inspiration to an entire category of fintech at this point because they were the first ones to really pull that together in what's now known as a neobank or a challenger bank. What happened was, you know, BBVA purchased Simple. They were the original investor in, in Aslo uh, when we built Aslo. They ended up all being part of this portfolio within BBVA North America, formerly known as Compass Bank. And PNC uh, purchased them a couple months ago. That deal was announced. And as part of that deal, they made the decision to shut down those platforms, which personal opinion on this one doesn't seem like the smartest strategic choice, given the national recognition of the brand, the well-loved UI, a lot of the innovation that was present there. We've been very fortunate to have a community of those users from Simple reach out to us and see what we are working on. And even though it's nascent and even though it's not fully there and we don't have all of the depth of the budgeting and expenses they can see the bones of it. And they're like, hey, this is actually really cool. You guys are are doing something that feels like what Simple was trying to do. And it is partially inspired by that, but we want to take it to a 
to another step. Sure. Right? We now want to innovate on top of that and be able to offer credit products and be able to offer some interesting things with sharing of money. Those were things that were actually constrained by the BBDA back end at both Simple and Aslo, right? There, there's some natural limit to innovation there when you're stuck on top of the bank's core. Uh, and then the unfortunate thing is, you know, two acquisitions later and PNC comes in and looks at it on a whiteboard in the spreadsheet and says, oh, this looks fine. We should just do this. But the result to the actual customers of Simple would be to migrate to the BBVA online banking system and then to the PNC online banking system. And like by the time you get through all of that, you're not going to have a whole lot of happy customers left. Right. <laughs> so I think it's a it's an unfortunate decision. Um, but we are. Really honored, in fact, to see how the community has responded, uh, particularly some of the folks from Simple who, who recognize the the inkling of where we are going to take this. Because despite there being so many challenger banks in the space, right, there are some big names that have reached some big valuations recently with plenty of commercials on TV. And at first glance, it seems like, ah, they're all the same. But they're actually not. There's a lot of innovation yet to be done on the financial products themselves and pulling them back together uh, to manage your financial life as opposed to just a better UX on top of a debit card. And we want to be the, the leader in that second wave uh, to really take the best of everything that everybody learned in the last 10 years from the Simples and all of the other folks that were really pioneers in the space. There's no reason you shouldn't get the benefit of all of that digital innovation that has been happening, but also pulling in some actual financial product innovation and giving you a broader set of the things you need to run your life. Well, I, as a, as low customer, I have to say, I love the simplicity. I just thought for a, for a business bank, it was so simple to work on that platform that you spent time with. And, uh, it's funny looking at what you're doing with one finance now and seeing the fact that you guys are taking this and making it look so simple when it took us, you know, 20 something minutes to go through how it all works. Yeah. And that's just at a surface level. But to make that all simple, I know it takes a lot of brain power. Well, thanks for joining us. And I hope as you guys have changes and news in the future, you'll come back and talk about them. I really appreciate your time, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Happy to do it anytime. Hey, stackers. I'm your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And it's another bad holiday on this calendar Joe's mom got me. Seriously, who comes up with these things? We could have been celebrating Friday before the Super Bowl day or stretch out for the best commercials all year day, but nope. Today is National Shower with a Friend Day. Do people actually celebrate this? I mean, if I was to celebrate, you can bet your naked butt that I wouldn't shower with any of these yahoos down here. I mean, have you seen that shower in the basement? It's like a three-by-three three box that could use a couple of gallons of disinfectant. And have you ever even tried to stand next to OG, even with clothes on? No, 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 not doing it. And don't even get me started about showers. Okay, I'm started. Why the hell is it that people love showers, but they don't like walking in the rain? Isn't it the same thing? Or like related to cousins, at least. Worse, why the hell is there that one stream from the shower head that goes just off in a random direction? What the hell is that all about? Is there some dude at the Kohler factory who's making his personal statement about showering by like sticking it to the world's shower heads? I'm probably never going to find out the answer to that. But while we're on the topic of Kohler, here's a question. Turns out that the world's biggest showerhead producer is Kohler. Duh. The company is based out of Wisconsin, has 40,000 cheese-eating, shower-loving employees, and operates mostly in the construction industry. So the question is, how much is their annual revenue? 
I'll be back with your answer faster than you can hit the showers. But not too hard. You don't want more streams just going off in random directions. National Shower with a Friend Day. Talk about creepy-ass holiday for the win. I shower with my toddler, so, you know. You're celebrating already. Listen, it kills two birds with one shower. (laughs) We're playing a game across the span of a year, if you're new to the show, and our three regular contributors, Paula, Len, and OG. OG has the day off today, so Sandy's playing on behalf of OG. And we are now in week number five. And the score is Len has two. He's in the lead with two. Paula has one and OG has one. And since Paula came in third last year, that means she's the tiebreaker. She gets to guess last. Uh, Sandy, you'll guess on behalf of OG second. And Len, we're talking about the revenue of shower head maker and uh, what toilet manufacturer, I think, uh, Kohler. Oh, yikes. Uh, Okay, setting the bar again for you guys. Let's see. Kohler. That's a good one. Oh, my goodness. I can't even – I don't even know where to begin, Joe. Um, How many faucet makers are there, first off? There's like – gosh, there's – is it Pfizer? Fister? Price Fister? Shoot, I don't know. Delta? I Delta? I have – Delta. Yeah, there you mm-hmm. go. Delta's one. Yeah, Delta. Mm-hmm. But, Delta. But we're talking about Kohler, right? Yep. So I, I have no clue. I, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, I'm just going to throw out a number. I'm going to say total revenue. Yes. Is that what you said? Last year? Yes. Gosh, what's a faucet cost? Well, I can't. There's such a. I they're no so expensive clue. these days. Oh, my gosh. They I are, have they no are, clue. Sandy's right. Where were you doing our bathroom? And it's disgusting what that's going to cost. Let's yeah, we put a new one in the kitchen and it was like 300 bucks. I'm like, just, what yes. comes okay. out of this? Okay, Sandy. So let's just say, yes. so let's say we priced out, by the way, Sandy, we priced out toilets. Yeah. Just amazing. And, and, and I thought, <laughs> I thought I'm just going to shit all over this. <laughs> um, and then I'm just going to, I'm going to so, say, so. I'm going to say $5 billion. Sorry. Sometimes the jokes are just for me. Just cracking myself <laughs> up with fourth grade potty humor. I was right there with you. Five billion dollars. We swapped out the toilets in this house too. <laughs> and you kept having a bunch of crappy jokes, didn't you, about it? Uh-huh. All right, Sandy. Len set the bar at five billion dollars. Five billion with a B. Where did this number come from, Len? It's a lot of freaking toilets. If you only, you really don't want to know. I have no clue where that number came from. Is this like the price is right? Can I go $5 billion in $1? You can, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's such an asshole move. Okay. Um, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 it's not, Sandy, because you'll say $5 billion one, and Paula will say $5 billion two. We've had it happen. I, I totally will. I have no scruples. I'm that's just right. warning you right now. You haven't All seen right. Dirty Pool until you've seen Paula Pant play this. <laughs> so I'll give myself wiggle room. 5.5 billion. That's an extra 500 million. I think OG was right last week when he talked about setting the anchor. You know, 5 yeah. billion is now the anchor. Paula? Sandy said 5.5 billion? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're both high. So I'm going to guess 4.999 billion. <laughs> Thanks, Paula. 
Well, at the very least, she probably made sure Len's not getting further ahead. <laughs> you know, you gotta think they make the fancy bathtubs too. Yeah. I feel like I've been doing construction for, <laughs> for the last couple of years. Those fancy tubs are expensive. Not even the fancy tubs, the cloth, but the old like clawfoot clawfoot tubs i hate those things oh i hate it i took one out of a rental and it was it was gorgeous not for that rental and sold it to somebody else it was like one of those old oh those things made of iron back then and it was a Kohler tub because they when oh. you knocked the feet it had the things on there how long have they been in business they've got to be making a, a ton of money are they recession proof i, I think Home depot made a ton of money mm. in this last like year I would think mm. that could be recession-proof. Maybe we're low and it should be double that, or maybe we're way too high and it's half the money. So it's still a billion dollars, $5 billion. I thought Paula could have been funnier if she said, I think you're both high, but your answers are low. Ah, but I'm- <laughs> <laughs> would have been better. All right. On that great note, we'd love to tell you now who the winner is, but of course, we got to make you wait. We'll be right back. This episode sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Len, you came in at $5 billion and they immediately surrounded you, pal. Yes. Well, you know what? That's part of the responsibility of being the reigning champion and setting the bar. So, hey, I've, I've got to set the target for everybody else. But the good news is, Sandy, you got a lot of the upside there. 5.5 billion. If it's 130 trillion, you've got it. <laughs> That's right. I was going to go one dollar, but who wants to be that person? <laughs> Absolutely. But Paula, you kind of were that person coming in at 4.99999. <laughs> it's going to be hilarious if the actual answer is 4.9999999. <laughs> well, let's see, Doug. Hey, trivia nuts. I'm your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And since you got me started on my bathroom rant, I was recently looking to upgrade my house after earning all these big bucks, but Every house I look at, it's the same thing, same thing. Tiny little shower in this massive tub. Who even uses bathtubs anymore? 
I don't think I've taken a bath in forever. You know why? Because I'm a grown-ass man, that's why. Come on now. All we really need is a massive shower that we can all use alone. And no tub. Forget the tub. Before this gets too much weirder, let's get back to today's trivia. The question was, how much is the Kohler Corporation's annual revenues? If you guessed seven billion big ones, then you'd be right. You'd think we'd all have better showers with numbers like those. It's time to see if I can put a new shower head to use in this phone booth these guys call a shower. Oh, scrape that off. That's a lot of money. You know what? I want to say this. I should get a half a point for setting the bar relatively close. I mean, now look at this. (laughs) How How about we get you a cup of water out of this faucet? I was only $2 billion off. I was only $2 billion off on the weirdest question you could ask. <laughs> sort of how much popcorn it takes to fill the Empire State Building. Well, but, well <laughs> you were only $2 billion off, but Sandy was only $1.5 billion off, and that's how the, that's how the game I, works. I think, I think Doug owes me one. Now we're, we're creeping up on uh, Len here. Well, OG owes you one. Oh, oh, gee, sorry, sorry. Yes, yes, absolutely. Sorry, Doug, Doug is uh, apparently not showering with any of us, so <laughs> uh, which is fine by me. Our loss. Hey, before Sandy gloats too much, let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of magnifymoney.com. When you go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney, Sandy Smith, you know what you find? Um, what do I find, Joe? <laughs> So disappointing. You should, you should know. You should be like all excited. You know exactly what you find because you use it all the time. You go to magnifymoney.com using our stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money link. And then you go there and you find like all the savings account rates, 92% of the stuff out there, which is compared against each other. And $7 billion worth of toilets and faucets. (laughs) Probably not toilets and faucets, but you- You could buy a lot of them. If you pay your credit cards off in full, they compare and contrast cashback reward cards. And if you don't pay your bills off on time, they compare and contrast consolidation loans. So there you go there too. Savings accounts, checking accounts, all compared at stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Today, we're going to help Alan magnify his money. Say hi, Alan. Hi, Joe and OG. After listening to your podcast for the last few years, we decided not to pay off our mortgage early since it has a low interest rate and instead uh, max out our 401k and Roth IRAs. So we thank you for that idea. We also got into turning bank account bonuses and credit cards a few years ago and in 2020 hit $10,000 for the year. This appears to be a great side hustle even while people are paying down debts, building their nest egg, or in retirement. Would you consider addressing that topic in a future podcast? Well, Keep up the good work. And my t-shirt size is extra large. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. You know, Alan, we're just going to send you a code, but congratulations on being an extra large. That's, that's great. (laughs) uh, Let's talk about credit card reward points, checking account, opening dollars. Sandy, you're nodding your head. You like this game? Not for everybody. No, I don't. For myself, yes. (laughs) because I'm crazy like that for the average pun intended Joe. Absolutely not. It's a great way to get yourself in debt, tank your credit score and, you know, mess up your money. Talk about the kind of things that you do. Cause when he says an eye popping number, like $10,000, that's a big, big old number, Sandy. 
Oh yeah, that's a huge chunk of money. But when it, when outside was normal, <laughs> I would definitely open credit cards for the reward. Um, you know, when you open the cards, you get that big nut at the beginning. I pay all of my regular bills through a credit card if I can, if there's no fees to do so, because I'm paying it the day that I'm swiping my credit card or punching my credit card numbers in. I'm also making the payment on my credit card as well. So I'm not carrying a balance. There's no loss for me there, right? And I'm getting these rewards for paying that way. But again, I I feel like it's just such a way for people to get themselves into real trouble if they're not on top of it. And if you don't care about your credit score or whatever, you've got those ups and downs. I, what am I buying? I don't really care. But yeah, I, I like it for people who are on top of their money, who are very conscientious, who pay their credit cards off at the end of the month, who know what they're doing. But if you are just the average person, this is not for you. Find a different side hustle. This isn't it. I got two two questions for you. First of all, with all of the opening that you do to get these bonuses, do you keep some sort of a spreadsheet then of what you've opened and how long you have to keep it before you, I'm assuming that you close the card later or do you just leave them open? Yeah. So I tend to go on a spree and do them all at one time. So I'll I'll apply for like three or four cards in one sitting. Then I know I'm tracking how long I've got to keep or how much I've got to spend or whatever it is. So that I get the full reward out of having the card and then they're gone. My oldest card is 25 years old. It's not going anywhere. It's like in cement at this point. I get nothing for that card, but it's worth it for me to keep that card. But these other ones that I play with, I toss them like candy um, once I get my, uh, my well, so, reward. Well, so, and that brings up the second question. Is that sustainable? I mean, are you going to, if Alan's doing this, how long is it going to take him to run through most of the awards? Because I know as an example, American Express once you get their reward for one of their cards, they keep track of that. And it's one time per life that they give you is my understanding. Yeah, they're changing policies now as well. And then if, if some of those are like uh, travel cards, who's who's traveling right now, you know? Yeah. So right now I, I wouldn't do it. I'm not doing it because it just does not make financial, good financial sense for me. And that's why I'm so hesitant to tell somebody that this is a good side hustle. And really, how long can you do it for? How many cards can you really have? I had a friend that used to have like 20 something cards at one point. That's what um, I was asking a friend the same thing. And I asked him about annual fees. I said, what do you do when the annual fees come up? And he hadn't thought of it. I'm like, you got yeah. 20 cards and you're paying the annual fees on all these different. Are you crazy? Yeah. Yeah, I would not do it. I feel like it's dangerous uh, for the average person. It, it is not. If you're a business traveler, you're doing a lot of stuff. You've got a small business. You're, you know, you're charging and. Might make sense, but not, I think not for the average person. I wouldn't even consider it a side hustle. Do you do these uh, checking account openings? Will they pay you an extra couple hundred bucks to open them or whatever um, it might be? I don't, not anymore. It's the, they're not lucrative enough for me to, to open and close and right. have all these deposits going in and out. Uh, I'd rather spend my time doing something else. I miss the days of the free toaster. I've got like 18 <laughs> toasters back here from doing it, Alan. No, probably. Paula, do you play the game? No, I'm not a big fan of it. I mean, I do a very light modified version where I'll open up maybe one or two cards per year. You know, something that's manageable, something I can keep track of. But in terms of dedicating 10 hours a week and having a spreadsheet and, you know, knowing precisely what you've opened when, having a whole strategy around it. You know, there's some people who really approach it like a job. You know, like a side hustle, truly like a side hustle. And I think that there are more, number one, more lucrative things that you can do. And number two, things you can do that actually benefit society 
play to your strengths, leave a legacy. You know, if, if you're going to be devoting 10 hours a week to building a side hustle, would you rather be opening and closing credit cards or would you rather be teaching somebody how to play the guitar, you know, or teaching somebody how to play chess like that? That seems to be a side hustle that earns you money, but also benefits society at large. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to moralize side hustles here, but it just seems to to play to your skills a little bit more and be be more well-rounded. I don't so, know, though, Paula. With- know, the occasional, you know, every now and again, the occasional card opening, uh, I get it. I'm into it. But uh, as long as it doesn't overtake your life. With the number of bad experiences I've had with American Airlines, I'd love to leave a legacy of just sticking it to them. So, <laughs> so go for it, Alan. Just run up as many, as many American Airline points as you can possibly get and do that. No? <laughs> That's not what you meant? Len, you play that game? Uh, occasionally. I'm like Paula. I remember I just did it for American Airlines a couple of years ago. I needed 40,000 points to get a first free first class ticket. So I signed up for a credit card and got that. That put me over the top. Uh, but then I, I dropped it <laughs> the next year. So I didn't have to pay the fee. Yeah. And um, I've done it a couple other times. The thing that gets me though is $10,000. I really would like to know how that gentleman got, I mean, that's a lot of uh, playing around to get $10,000 worth of stuff. I did get an offer for uh, opening savings account and checking account with a a major bank here. They were going to give me $600 if I opened the accounts and stuck around for six months, I think it was. But uh, I didn't do that either. I got lazy and didn't do it, but I threw $600 away. Yes, but I don't, you know, just occasionally. Uh, I just go back to how sustainable is it? Like, can you, can you seriously continually do that? Yeah. I I don't know. You know, I know, and Sandy mentioned, uh, you know, lowering your credit score and does it really, or does it raise it? Because, you know, there's a thing called it's your available credit to, you you know, your use, your credit utilization ratio, right? So if you have a whole bunch of credit cards opened up and your credit, your available credit goes up, you know, some huge number, but you don't use it all. You know, that's really good for your credit score. So, so yeah. I don't know if that, if that hurts your credit score or it actually helps it. It, it might hurt it more by hit. closing, closing them. So I get a hit on the average age of my, you know, my average age plummets, especially because I'm opening like three or four at a time. And that, you know, I've got my one twenty-five year old card and, you know, like one other card. Now I've got three, four cards that are zero years old. My age plummets. So, you know, I, I get that boop, that dip. You also probably see then, Sandy, like a huge dip immediately, but then it comes roaring back very quick and, mm-hmm. and maybe sometimes even higher. Yeah, it's a roller coaster. I don't care because yeah. I already own my home. I, I'm not buying anything. You know, I don't care. Right. But um. Yeah, for some people who might need their credits for stuff. Yeah. That's another thing. Paula, were you going to say something? Oh, just uh, just that, that it's true that your debt utilization score uh, will improve by virtue of opening a, a bunch of additional cards, but the average account age is going to, you know, the average is going to get a lot narrower and the number of new accounts opened or the number of credit inquiries that you've had in the past six months or in the past 12 months that also impacts your credit score. And of course, the number of inquiries is going to increase. And so the aggregate effect of increased inquiries plus new accounts opened means that at least in the short term, like if, if you're going to apply for a mortgage or refinance your mortgage sometime in the next three months, don't do it. 
Thanks for the question, Alan. If you've got a question for us, head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And um, I think what I'd like to do, and we've talked about this several times before, is having the points guy on. What's his name? Brian. Um, what's Brian's last name? Laura. Brian. I, don't know. I know his name's Brian. We're going to have Brian the points guy. <laughs> Come on. So uh, we've talked about that in the past and and just have not done it. But I would like to hear more about how people do those things and where the opportunities might be. But uh, thanks for the question, Alan. And once again, congratulations on being an extra large. All right. That's going to do it for today. Let's see what all of you guys are doing where you live. Uh, Len, let's start with you, man. What's going on at uh, LenPenso.com? At LenPenso.com? Well, you know, it's it's the usual stuff, right? So um, I think I mentioned last week the uh, seven perplexing questions, money questions. That's getting a lot of attention over there at LenPenso.com. Seven perplexing money questions that people never uh, have an answer to. So stop by for that. And then, of course, every Saturday, my black coffee, my weekly doom and gloom with my community over there of fellow doom and gloomers. Come on over and you can just see the worst of <laughs> – you want to see the, how the world's going to end? Come on by Saturdays at LenPenzo.com. If you think the glass is half empty, Len will remind you it's three quarters empty. And you will know why I live in a bunker. <laughs> right. Paula, what's happening over at Afford Anything? On the Afford Anything podcast, we have an interview with Aaron Lowry, the broke millennial, talking about awkward money conversations. How do you navigate discussions around money with your friends, with your siblings, with your family? you know, with all of the people in your life. And, and when we talk about, when I say discussions around money, this includes everything from how you split the bill at dinner to how much you're going to pay when you're in somebody's wedding to who's going to take care of mom and dad as they age. All of those get included under the umbrella of financial conversations. And that's so the Afford that Anything podcast. Exactly. The Afford Anything podcast available Anywhere finer podcasts are downloaded. <laughs> Sandy, thanks so much for joining us again. It was great mixing up with you and congratulations on taking home the trivia prize. Thank you. You know, that's my second time with the trivia prize. Winning the trivia. Oh. Yes. You're probably going to start seeing 10 bucks show up in your mailbox from time to time from Len or Paula, like weeks that they're not on, you know, mm -hmm. will you, will you play on behalf of them? Wait, there's there's money for this? <laughs> <laughs> ask Sandy. Ask. There's not even a Sandy. There's not even a trophy for this. Okay, there's Sandy. I'd like this. to show you my trophy. <laughs> Is it invisible? Okay, Sandy. Moving on, Sandy. Moving on. There's nothing to see there. Uh, I guess let's start off with yes, I am cheap. We'll talk about that for a second, and then we'll talk about elevate. Yeah. So I've added a new writer who focuses on investing for people who have no idea about investing because so many people missed out on uh, the wave last year. So we've got some great new articles on yesimcheap.com that focuses strictly on investing for beginners. So we're recapping 2020 and the stocks that performed really well there so that you can get an idea of where to potentially go in 2021. And then this year, the Elevate Conference, by the way, for people that don't know what the Elevate Conference is, if you're somebody who is an influencer, you uh, speak directly to people of color, this is the conference for you. And I'm looking at it right now. It's August 13th to 15th this year. 
Yeah, you pulled it up. Man. How about that? <laughs> you did pull it up. Yeah. So it's going to be online. Actually, it's a little bit of a hybrid. So we will have a presence in Tulsa. Knock on wood. Hopefully we can get uh, vaccines. But there will be a tiny, tiny presence in Tulsa as we commemorate the um 100th anniversary of the destruction of Black Wall Street. And then we will be online again with some great partners who will bring this event to you. I'm looking forward to a very educational experience because we've got a theme of um, moving forward this year. So it'll be, it'll be great. And you go to elevateworkshops.com to find out more. And you know, we'll have a link to both Yes, I Am Cheap, the Elevate uh, Workshops, to lempenzo.com and afford anything on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. That's going to do it for today, everybody. Doug, you've got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Yo, what's that? Yeah, all right, I'll, I'll be right there. I just got to finish drying off. Just, I got to, just this one last part. Okay, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. So, what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our roundtable discussion. In order to be the best, remember that hard work pays off. Surround yourself with the best, freely give to others, and they'll do the same for you. Second, take a lesson from our Friday FinTech guest, Brian Hamilton from One Finance. Look to partner with companies that make you more responsible with your money rather than defaulting to the same old brands. <coughs> big banks, know what I mean? But the big lesson... Don't ask Joe's mom to celebrate National Shower with a friend day. She's already upstairs. Naked. Yep. I know. Thanks to Brian Hamilton from One Finance for stopping by. You can learn more about One Finance by going to our show notes page or by going to onefinance.com. And thanks to our roundtable for stopping by. You can check out what Len's up to at lenpenzo.com. You can listen to Paula on the Afford Anything podcast where you're listening to us right now. Well, not actually here, you know, over on her. You'll figure it out. And check out what Sandy has to say at yesiamcheap.com. And if you're speaking to influencers of color, check out her conference called Elevate. It's at elevateworkshops.com. And I'll share some bathroom-related trivia. Not going to the bathroom, poo-poo, pee-pee, fifth-grade humor. We're way above that. <laughs> I said poo-poo, pee-pee on the internet. I totally enjoyed beating you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I know that uh, you guys maybe don't pay a lot of attention to the Super Bowl, but I'm wondering, 
do you have something that you do the Super Bowl? Do you actually, but Paula, do you actually watch the the Super Bowl and just, just, I do. You tune out during the game and you watch mm-hmm. the commercials, don't you? Yes, that's exactly what I do. I love the commercials. It's the one I time a year where, every year. it's the one time a year you like tune in for commercials. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And when I go to Super Bowl parties, I get annoyed when everyone's talking during the commercials. I'm like, guys, this is what we're here to see. Come on. Well, I heard that some companies are pulling back like their I did ads, too. Right? Budweiser is a huge one. They've had ads forever and they're not doing it anymore. Coca-Cola. Why? They're directing their ad dollars. So the company that I work for is in this space currently work for. That's going that's going away in a few weeks. Don't tell them because I haven't resigned yet. But um <laughs> They're repurposing their ad dollars towards more social programs and social awareness because of all the things that are going on right now. So that's what's happening. And my um, kids just burst through the door. It's party time at Sandy's house. Somebody's got home from daycare. All right. And there's a dog. And the dog. Yeah. The whole family is here. (laughs) Sorry. That's awesome. It's the after show. That that is great. (laughs) It's party time there. Go, Hayes. Go. Uh, so they're moving their ad dollars around though yeah yeah it's all for all for social programs um and that happened when early on when coronavirus kind of hit and again that happened again when the um storming of the capital occurred as well people pulled like ad dollars from certain places and they decided to put them in in social programs so um yeah, it's been it's been interesting to watch what has occurred in the last year. It's Ugh. been very interesting. Interesting is not the right word. Yeah, I, I don't but think this so. I love it because they're supporting um, major corporations are supporting things like food banks and things like that. You know, uh, people need to eat. So if you've got a couple million dollars that you would normally spend on a 30 to 60 second ad, you know, it's a great way to spend your dollars, I think. But Paul is going to miss out on these awesome <laughs> ads. I used to watch for the ads as well. Now I just watch for the halftime show. Mm. Who's the talent? Do we know? Oh, I don't know. Oh, it's uh, the weekend. Oh, mm. he's fast. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not a fan. I need somebody high energy. After J-Lo and Shakira, were, were they the ones last year? Yeah. Yes. Come on. After that whole... 40-year-old women shaking better than I was in my 20s. I, yeah. I need some energy on the stage. Shakira was 42. Jayla was like 50 or 51 at the time. Amazing. Yeah. There was this great meme going around that was that was like 50 years old in 1985, and it showed Blanche from the Golden Girls. <laughs> and then it was like 50 years old in 2020, and then it showed J-Lo pole dancing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Might be, might be slightly different. Yeah, man. Like she's, she's an inspiration for like being athletic in your fifties. What happens in the Penzo bunker on Super Bowl weekend? Uh, you know what? We have a few people over and we just, uh, cook the usual hors d'oeuvres and I always cook up a pot of chili and I, you know, I like the, I like the commercials too, actually. I love the Budweiser commercials. They're always my favorites. None, none, so. none this year though. You know, it's sad. Sandy Is and Paula. That right? There are none. Wait, did, there's no Budweiser? Did you? We, we, wow. Really? That's how much lead pays attention right there. <laughs> my favorite is still the frog. So the Budweiser frog. So you're old enough to remember that one. Yes. 
I do love the frogs. I loved all the Pepsi commercials too. Those guys that created the the, the frogs have a master class. And it's really cool watching how they design all those. It's Goodby and Silverstein, I think. It's a great if you got master class, it's a fantastic mm-hmm. one to, to go through if yeah. you're interested in in that. I'll tell you my f- favorite Super Bowl ad, and maybe we'll end on this. This was uh, E-Trade back in 2000, and it starts off in an emergency room. Is he on any medication? None. Doctor, I think you should see this. Oh, my. Well, what is it? He's got money coming out the wazoo. What do we have? Money out the wazoo. Move this man to a private room. I don't know why this man's got money coming out the wazoo. Does your husband have insurance? Insurance? He's got money coming out of the wazoo. Oh. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.